Hi, my name is Andrea Jansen, and I am on a mission to help people be ambitious at work every single day. That means you're fulfilled, you're productive, and you're contributing to your company. I'm a certified executive coach that has an MBA, a diversity consultant, a Forbes contributor, a business leader, a wife, and a mother of three. This podcast is about tackling hard topics like the gender gap in the workplace. It's about asking the questions that everybody's thinking about, but doesn't want to say out loud. Each episode is like the sweet spot between motivation and tactical strategies to get you ahead. We get out of our comfort zones and we take action. This is where we learn, grow, and create opportunities. Welcome to the Ambition Theory Podcast. Hi, Stephanie. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell me what you are all about? So I am Stephanie Slocum, and I am on a mission to normalize women as leaders in STEM. Uh, so I am a career and business strategist, uh, and, and I believe that every woman needs to find her path, and I can help them do that through getting clarity on next steps, uh, helping uh, advocate for yourself, uh, get helping you get to your next level, whatever that is for you on your terms. Um, and, and what I found is that that is the key, the on your terms part, uh, because every person has unique gifts and, and talents and skills, and it's a matter of matching those to where you want to go, where you want to be, so that you can have the career and the life that you want. I love that. And you have a company called Engineers Rising, and you help women um, in STEM, help women engineers really get to that next level in their career, figure out what they want. And I love that you said on your terms. So make it about what they want on their terms. But I'm so curious, before you got into this work, what was going on for you in your career? Yeah. So before I founded Engineers Rising and, and my company is three years old, I worked uh, as an engineer. So I have two degrees in architectural engineering. Uh, if you don't know what that is, uh, I actually worked uh, designing the structures of buildings, parts of buildings that hold them up. Uh, a lot of women in construction will pro- have probably worked with structural engineers. And I worked in that field for 15 years, kind of rising up through the ranks, going from you know new college grad to an executive level position. Uh, right before I paused that part of my career path and started this company. Um, And so what what I noticed, so I I like to call myself an accidental entrepreneur. Uh, I never, I was not a person that I'm like, oh, I want to go into career coaching, leadership coaching, business coaching for women in this area. Uh, This really rose out of of a need that I noticed in my early career um, that I was treated a bit differently than some of my male counterparts, uh, often by very nice people, very well-intentioned people. Um, and I had to figure out how to navigate that for myself in a world where there weren't a lot of female role models. Uh, they're definitely not in leadership. I was lucky if there was one at my level. Uh, and so I found that I had to go find those people for myself and figure out how to navigate you know, the the random comment. The time I went out to the construction site and I had to convince a contractor that, yes, I was the engineer that actually designed the project and I am supposed to be on site. I'm not just the secretary uh, or something like that. Uh, And all these experiences added up. And I started mentoring other people on, okay, here's how you navigate this stuff for yourself, especially when you're the only one. Uh, Because the reality is for many women in STEM, many women in engineering, construction, you're still often the only one in the room. 
or the only one on your team or the only one on your project. And it takes a, a different skill set to be able to navigate those things in that context than it does when there's a whole lot of women um, that have all experienced the same sorts of things that you have. So how did you realize that this was a thing? Like this is like an added thing to your job description, right? Like how do you navigate all these things that you need to do because you're a woman? At what point did you realize that that was a thing you had to do? Yeah. So the first time I realized it was actually in my, in my first job. Uh, I did not realize this was a thing at all, actually, any time in my education. Uh, so I went into my first job and uh, I love to bake. I'm, I'm coming from a background of people that, you know, if there's any life event of any sort, we bake them something. Uh, and so I had moved to a new state. Uh, I was I was baking uh, cookies, brownies, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to take these into work. I'll share them with the office. Uh, and we were in this open office floor plan. So I'm sitting at my desk in this open office floor plan, which happened to be adjacent to kind of the communal food area. The guys would bring in stuff all the time. So it wasn't unusual for people to bring in stuff. Um, but I, I set my brownies there. One of the senior engineers in the department comes over, takes a bite. And with a huge smile on his face, because I could like, I had the visual from my desk. He goes, this is why we need women in the engineering department. And when I heard that, like my jaw kind of dropped. Um, I have a terrible poker face. So I'm like kind of ducking behind my desk. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like that, that is, I'm sure that was a well-intentioned comment but that's not why I'm here. Like I came into this field because I love the work. I love uh, the, the technical aspects of my job. And now I'm already seeing myself being judged differently because that comment was never once made when my male counterparts brought in similar things. And so I think that was the moment where I was like, uh, where there was this aha that, okay, well, and, and I wanted to be in denial about this as well as the other thing. Um, I heard that and I'm like, okay, well, we'll just brush that off. And then I brushed off the next comment and the next comment. And I found myself even laughing at, you know, uh, women driver jokes. I feel like that's a really common one. Um, and I tried to keep on like pushing it down and ignoring it, but I found ignoring it wasn't working. And it was creating all this like resentment. <laughs> uh, inside me that was affecting how I manage like my day to day. Uh, relationships at work. Uh, and so I've had to figure out like what to do with all of that uh, and how to navigate this in situations where like you couldn't just say, you know, that was a really sexist comment you just made. Cut that out. And like, that's not going to get you anywhere or it wasn't going to get me anywhere. Um, and so figuring figuring that out and how to kind of meet people where they are so that you can get to where you want to go in your career and the way you want to do it um, is, is a skill set that I now know as leadership skills. Uh, but at the time, I didn't realize that's what I was actually learning. I'm so interested in this. And I want to go back a little bit to that idea that you had of bringing baked goods to the office. Because from my perspective, it's like you said, it's something you like doing, right? Mm -hmm. It's part of your life at home. And you literally showed up as your authentic self, yep. sharing part of your personality to your to the with the people that you work with. And you actually got backlash 
on that. And that's what you, when you talk about authentic leadership, it's all about mm-hmm. bringing your authentic self to work. Like we encourage people to do that, but when you did it, you got that backlash. So tell me how that affected you showing up at work after that. Yeah. So again, I think I was at the time I was mostly in denial. Um, I've actually, I, t- I have told this story so often. I've had people come back and say like, did you ever like go back and talk to the person that that said this because I continued to work with him. He was a project manager. Like I learned a lot from him uh, on his his particular projects. And and in this case, it was a him. I have gotten comments, not that exact comment, but these comments are not limited to just men either. Um, I have gotten. Uh, I had a high level woman tell me that gender had absolutely nothing to do with how I was being treated in any way, shape, or form. Uh, in my career as well. And that that actually probably affected the denial part of this uh, even more because what happens when you're in denial about what's going on is that you internalize all of this and you think it's just you. There's something about you that doesn't scream leader. Um, there is something about you that you're doing something wrong. And so my response to this and how it affected things at work is I'm like, okay, well, I can outwork this problem. I just need to work harder and prove myself more so that I stop getting interrupted during meetings. So I don't have to walk out onto a construction site and try and convince the contractor that like, if I work harder, then this stuff won't happen. And how that affected my relationships. Well, at first, like, you know, most employers are going to be thrilled that you're working harder and harder and harder. But it takes a huge toll on you because what happens is you kind of put your head down, you stay in your little silo. Um, if you're an introvert like me, you probably avoid talking to other people. You don't seek out the mentors and sponsors. Um, and you also start creating like stories in your head that may or may not be true, but they're definitely not backed by data about, well, this person, he just doesn't work well with women in engineering women in construction. And, and those sorts of thoughts affect every single interaction you have with people. Um, and so for me, that first experience led to denial, which led to uh, me deciding that I just needed to work hard um, and not learning early on tools I needed to self-advocate, find mentors and sponsors until eventually I hit burnout. I mean, that that's where this this led to for me. Um, and so I, what I want our listeners to take away from this particular story is don't do what I did. Um, you are not alone in these experiences. You need to find and seek out mentors and sponsors and, and people who can support you in this and, and listen to your stories and not gaslight you because that is still happening all the time. In fact, I think it's one of the biggest challenges uh, we face right now is there's a lot of, well, you know, the Me Too movement happened. We've seen a lot of media on this. We're seeing more podcasts and discussion on this. So that means the workforce has changed uh, in terms of, oh, well, all these these bias situations aren't happening anymore, when in fact, that's not actually true, statistically speaking. Um, and so making sure that when, when it happens to you, because it's a when, not an if, and it's probably already happened to a lot of our listeners. Um, finding that that support system for yourself is critically important so that you don't run into this, get in this cycle 
of I'm just going to work harder and work harder and work harder. Because I can tell you from firsthand experience, working harder only works to the extent that other people know about what you're doing. If they don't know, uh, it won't work and it will just lead you down the path to burnout, which doesn't help anyone. Can you take it back and explain what gaslighting means? I know I've heard. Oh, yes. And it's yes. That's kind of new, a new term that's coming that we're talking about. Can you explain what that? Yeah. Means? Yeah. Ha- happy to do that. And I apologize for using that jargon. <laughs> um, so gaslighting is when uh, the best way I can describe it is someone else tries to tell you how you should feel about something. Um, and so you know you're being gaslighted if, for example, you take something that happened at work to your manager and they tell you things like, you're too sensitive, you're imagining this, um, you're, uh, you know, you need to suck it up in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, they essentially like discount your experience of the situation in favor of either someone else's experience of the situation, which uh, that is common if it like happens in a group setting, um, or it's it's it'll bring you into like the the he said he said she said land uh, where okay this happened well, and then by the questions you're asked oh well now you need to prove this, um, and so uh, the best way to describe it as gaslighting is a, a denial that your experience is valid because the person you're talking to hasn't had the same experience. Uh, Victim shaming is an extension of of this, which we also uh, see at times, particularly when you're getting into like really uh, hard topics around discrimination and harassment. Okay. And so what happens is you just feel more and more and more isolated when this happens. Yes, absolutely. Hi. It's Jody Millen of Ambition Theory here. If you're in construction, you probably know that there are over 190,000 women in the Canadian industry. But did you know that female leaders are consistently rated higher than male leaders in leadership qualities that matter most to employees and most for organizational growth? Qualities like communication, initiative, problem solving, cooperation, and role modeling. If your organization is like most in the construction industry, you want to grow your female talent, but don't know how and you want to recruit more women, but find the talent pool very small. If this sounds familiar, I have a question for you. Are you tapping into growing and rewarding your female leadership in order to give your organization a competitive edge and attract new talent? The Canadian Construction Association's Gold Seal Certification Program sets the standard for industry excellence. Here at Ambition Theory, we offer Gold Seal programming that's specifically for female construction professionals. We train and coach female project managers, superintendents, foremen, estimators, and health and safety managers on how to harness their leadership abilities to advance their careers and their organizations in order to address some of construction's biggest challenges. When you invest in your female staff's Gold Seal certification, you give your organization a competitive advantage in tenders, showcase your organizational excellence, and demonstrate your tangible commitment to female leadership. To learn more about how your organization can host its own custom Gold Seal workshop, or how you can enroll your female staff through your local construction association, go to www.ambitiontheory.ca and book a call today. Okay, so tell me about when th- when this was happening for you, how did you get out of that isolation? Because you're alone, and if you don't have anyone to talk about this with, and if no one else is experiencing the same things as you, it, I feel like it's just going to make it worse. Yeah, and it, it did for a while. 
and so I did all the things that I think people normally do when they're like, I'm really frustrated at my job. So first I went and got another job. Uh, and I knew enough that um, I ha- wasn't able to articulate it yet, but I'm like, if I could find a job where there were at least more women or a woman in leadership, um, that seems like that might help solve the problem. Uh, so that's what I did. I went around and I interviewed for different jobs. I went and found uh, a job like that where there were actually women in, in leadership uh, within the organization. Um, and that was kind of my first step to getting out of it because then I realized, okay, the, the experience of my very first job, that's not necessarily you know, the norm everywhere. Uh, I think a lot of times when we've only worked at one place or two places, we start to think that's the norm. Uh, and so that was really kind of the impetuous to like kick me out of that. Now, fast forward a couple of years. And what I realized is that didn't really solve the problem. Because <laughs> even though I was working in an organization where there were other women who were generally supportive of other women, I was still usually or often when I got to the project team meetings, because we had a lot of project teams, you know, with all sorts of outside consultants, usually or often the only woman in the room. Um, And so it was at that point and I realized I had enough experience to realize it wasn't just me. I had finally come around to that conclusion. Um, And so then I started out, I started going out and kind of seeking some of this support networks. I mean, to be honest, in the early years, it was a lot of venting to uh, my husband and my friends to the point that they were really sick and tired of hearing me vent about work all the time. Um, finding that finding that support system, realizing I wasn't alone. Uh, and it took a lot of legwork for me to find it because well, I went what after- What support system look like? Tell like me, industry describe groups. Describe the support system. Oh, goodness. Okay, patchwork together from all sorts of different people I had met. Um, so for me, like my family has always been my primary support piece. Uh, I am married to an engineer uh, and he absolutely had to talk me out of quitting multiple times in that first job. Uh, and so I say he was like my first uh, piece of this. Um, but then there are just some things that it's hard to explain <laughs> to a guy. Uh, and so what I did is I went and I joined various industry like volunteer groups. So uh, the American Society of Civil Engineers, for example, is one I'm heavily involved in to this day. Uh, and what I would do is I would join, you know, show up for different events. Uh, this was back in the day before there were a lot of virtual events. Uh, and I would essentially like try and make friends. And then I'd seek out the women that appeared in these. Uh, and I'd try to talk to them about, you know, what what things are they experiencing? You know, what what had they run into? Um, and I definitely didn't limit it to just women. I've learned a lot from my male mentors as well. But but essentially, especially early on, all of my mentors came did not come from inside my organization. They came from outside my organization. Um, and and that was kind of a, a patchwork of finding that support wherever I could find it. Um, at the time, there just weren't a lot of women's groups out there. There are a lot more now, um, but there, I didn't know where to find them. I didn't know where to look for them. Uh, and so I patched them together in whatever way I, in whatever way I could. And tell me what happened after that, after you had this support system, what happened to your professional growth? Okay. So first, again, realizing it's not just you, like I know I've repeated that like five times, but I think that 
when you realize it's not just you, it will empower you to take more control of your career trajectory. Um, And so I had fallen into kind of a career rut for a couple of years in the middle of all this. Um, And once I really tacked on to this support system and really connected myself with other people, um, I started learning all sorts of things Um, in my case about the business side of the industry that allowed me to be able to present myself to my superiors in my office in a much more professional way that tagged on to the business bottom line. The ultimate result of all of that was I got a promotion. Um, And I can also say like those mentors, you know, introduced me to other people who introduced me to other people um, that knew about things like entrepreneurship and starting your own company. And I can absolutely say with certainty that had I not gone out and gotten that support system and then nurtured it, we would not be having this conversation today because I never would have started my own business. When I was in that you know, denial, exhaustion, burnout you know, cycle that we can find ourselves in, I didn't have the confidence to start anything on my own. And once I had that support system, that helped build my confidence. There were piece, you know, pieces there in some of these volunteer things where people were like, oh, no, you can go present in front of all these industry peers um, and, and gave me that little push I needed to help build that confidence that ultimately resulted in a promotion and, and starting, starting your own company. Okay, that is really cool. Thank you for sharing that, Stephanie. Uh, I'm so curious, what do you think the biggest challenges are for women in construction and women engineers today? Okay, so the, the biggest challenges for women in construction and engineering, and I would just say STEM as a whole, is this denial aspect of that there is any there are any differences in how you're being treated. Um, I think in a lot of places, people don't even want to talk about it. They don't even want to talk about the gender aspects of work because now you're going to be labeled sexist, racist, whatever ist you want to put on the back of it. And because we aren't willing to talk about it, it gains power. <laughs> um, and so, and it's not just, you know, we've been talking about microaggressions. Um, and let me, let me explain briefly what those are in case this is the first time you're, you're hearing this term. We've talked about get, uh, microaggressions and gaslighting. Um, essentially, it's when someone makes an assumption about someone else based purely on their identity. Um, and so I'm actually going to give a really good example of this that has nothing to do with gender or race. Uh, if you have workers in your office with young children, it's very likely you have made an assumption about, you know, well, this person isn't going to be as dedicated to work as someone else. I had I had a manager make an assumption that after I came back from maternity leave, I have three children, uh, after I came back from maternity leave, that I shouldn't be assigned a project where that would require a lot of travel, even though it was in my area of expertise, because I was a new parent without asking me. I only found out about that later by accident. Um, and so... There's a lot of assumptions made about your identity, be it woman, man, parent, non-parent, disability, whatever that is. Um, And the fact that we can't talk about this in a lot of workplaces about, you know, 
how what the different aspects are of our identity and how we can harness those to create better work environments that make better decisions, have more profitable projects, all of those sorts of things um, is, is the biggest challenge. Because if we can't talk about it, we can't solve the problem. I love that. It's like we have to expose the elephant. And once the elephant's exposed, we can figure out what to do about it. But if we just keep pretending that it doesn't exist, then there's no progress. Right. Exactly. So what do you think? I want to flip this around. What do you think the biggest opportunity is for female engineers, females in construction and in STEM? Because one thing I keep hearing is the war for talent. Every Yep. Your leader I talk to say there is a little war for talent. We need good people. And I always think like, is think about how many women there are in STEM. There's not that many. Is that the biggest opportunity? Or tell me what you think it is. So I take I take two perspectives to this. Uh, the first is that the opportunities in general are going to be at the intersections of different areas. Um, and so for example, Uh, the women I see that are in leadership positions, they have found an opportunity in their industry, in their firm, uh, that has allowed them to develop expertise in a particular area, often an expertise in a particular area that no one else in their company is good at, in order to elevate into that role. Um, And and what I see is that, especially, and this has been accelerated in the virtual environment as well. I mean, recognizing a lot of women in construction are physically on a construction site, but we are communicating with people virtually more than ever. Um, and so I see one of the biggest opportunities being in the collaboration and new tools um, and the ability to talk to other people because women are naturally uh, tend to be very good connectors. <laughs> In that, uh, we will make introductions, we talk to a lot of people, we will get the cross-training. Uh, and when it, what, what do I mean by cross-training? Uh, that means that you don't just understand your role, you understand all the bits and pieces of other people's role um, that you need to do good at your job, and that you know, what other people need for them to be from you, for them to be successful at their job. Um, and so I see the the leaning into your, you know, whatever your abilities are in terms of collaboration and talking to people and making those connections as being, I mean, that is the, uh, that is what you need to be successful in business. And I mean, it, it, it's always been what you need to be successful is building those relationships. Uh, but I think in the virtual environment, just people have way more choices now. They don't just have to hire locally. And that applies to talent directly. It also applies to the clients that they don't have to settle for uh, somebody locally, especially if they're doing like master planning sorts of things. Uh, And so your ability to develop relationships, I see just as a a huge opportunity. Um, And I, I, shy away from stereotypes here because I know as I was talking about that, some people said, well, I, you know, I'm not good at it. Whatever your kind of natural abilities are when it comes to uh, those things that come easy to you that may not come easy to other people, uh, I often find that 
that women in particular, we discount that. I cannot tell you the number of people I've talked to that I'm like, you, you realize you just described leadership and management skills that people 10 years older than you have been struggling to develop and they don't have. Yet we as women often discount that. Um, and so I find often that the things, uh, your greatest opportunities lie at the things that come naturally to you. And so finding out what those are and really leaning into them is what will bring you to a leadership level position when you are in the right organization. We have a lot of exciting things happening at Ambition Theory right now, specifically for women in the construction industry. Make sure you subscribe to our newsletter at ambitiontheory.ca so that you don't miss out on anything. Stephanie, I agree with everything you said. I've read studies that so that say that social and emotional intelligence, relationships, collaboration, the ability to see the big picture, those are the things that it takes to be successful right now in STEM, in construction. But what I found by looking at performance review systems, talking to HR managers is that right now we're promoting people based on technical skills not and we're not measuring in that performance view system the ability to collaborate the ability to build those relationships so i have two questions um the first one is what can women do now that we know this now that we've exposed this elephant that you know there's not a formal way to measure these key success factors that it does take to lead what can women do and then my second question is what can organizations do now that we know this Okay. So the first question is about what women can do about this. Um, and so my first, uh, I'm going to give very practical, very practical advice here. Um, so I'm going to put on my my business hat here. And what we know is uh, there is something called the Pareto Principle, also known as the 80-20 rule. And I will explain this. What this means is that 80% of your outcomes is only coming about as a result of 20% of your efforts. Um, this, this has been shown to apply pretty much across the board uh, and to the point that the clients of your organization, very likely 80% of the income, and I've seen this as uh, like it's been 90-10 in some groups, 80% of the income is coming from 20% of the clients. So let's think about this logically for a moment. If you are working on projects for that 20% of the clients that's driving most of the income for your organization, do you think you're going to get to leadership positions if you perform well faster than someone who is working in the other 80%? I think most of us would be like, yes, definitely. <laughs> um, and so uh, you can take this rule and have a direct conversation with your manager first about what parts of what I am doing is within that 20%. Uh, and so practically, make a list of all the things you're doing week to week. Look at that list. Highlight the three to five things that you think are making you most successful in the role you're in. Take that list, show it to your manager and say, hey, I'm trying to be uh, super productive. Make sure I'm focusing on the most important things. Here's what, here's what my list of things is that I'm doing. Here's what I think is most important. Do you agree? Uh, usually that will be a no. Usually there will be things to add to the list. Um, and then talk through, you know, I've been thinking about, you know, how I can better benefit the company. I've been learning about this thing called the 80-20 rule. And I would love to know where you see kind of our projects falling and how I might be able to get, you know, more experience on some of these other types of projects. Um, and that would give you a huge, just having that conversation 
gives you a huge amount of insight, both as to your potential career trajectory. It sets you up as a emerging leader if you aren't already in a leadership position because you're like, oh, well, this is someone that doesn't just care about the technical aspects of their role. They really are dialed into what's going on in the industry and, and the business part, which is the economic engine that keeps our firm running. Um, and so I understand what you're saying about here's like all these technical things that someone needs to do to get to the next level. But I'd, I would also challenge that if there's only technical things in that performance review system, that in fact, what's happening is people are getting rated on technical things, but then the final decision is much more related to the uh, people skills. So for example, um, you are not going to make it far as a woman in construction if you are unable to negotiate with subcontractors. If you allow subcontractors to walk all over you uh, in terms of fees and, and that sort of thing, and when you get into that conflict situation, now you're getting slapped with another bill, uh, you are, no matter how technically good you are, woman, man, any anything, you are not going to make it far in the field. How exactly is that in the performance review system? Uh, and having a conversation again with your manager about, okay, like, how are we how are we measuring this, this sort of thing? Um, there is so much conflict within the construction industry that this, this conflict management in particular is one of those just power skills uh, that you need. So again, having that explicit conversation, um, because the problem with not having the explicit conversation is that when you don't have it, you allow any assumptions being made about your identity to stand uncorrected because you haven't had that conversation. Um, and I, I it, it can often feel like, oh, I should just take what I can get. Um, but again, if you want to have the career you want on your terms, that explicit conversation, uh, be it about progressing, like you know, technical versus non-technical, all of those things, or just be it about, okay, like here's my boundary. <laughs> uh, stop dumping last minute tasks on my desk every single night. <laughs> Those sorts of things. That explicit conversation is key. And what can companies do to just recognize that women do bring these skills to the table and maybe traditionally they may be overlooked? Yeah. So revisiting your hiring and promotion practices, uh, making sure that what is actually being used to make the decision is what is being used to make the decision. I, I think that is really important. Um, a lot of companies, like we, we have these, you know, checklists of things people have to do, but then, and, and you check them off, but then you get into a room and the discussion is, okay, these people are about the same, who gets promoted? Um, and that's often where all these soft skills that we've been talking about fall into that. Um, and so sometimes it happens that the list of things to do get promoted not everything is actually written down. So getting everything actually written down, making that clear and transparent to everyone in the organization so they know actually what they need to do and there's no secrets. Uh, there's no, well, that person's just in with that person, so that's why they got promoted. You avoid all of that, uh, I'm going to call it drama. You may have another word for it. Um, you avoid all of that, and that helps 
I mean, it helps women, but it helps everyone because one of the top reasons people leave organizations is because they don't see growth paths. They, they see that they are stuck. They're not going to get anywhere else. So they're like, okay, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to go somewhere else. You avoid that uh, or you substantially cut down on the cost of retaining and recruiting people when you have very clear, transparent metrics for how people are promoted. I love that. Thank you for that. So I want to go back to the thing you talked about earlier, the self-advocacy and strat- if you, I'm hoping you can share some strategies on how to actually do it. Cause I know okay. that women do face that double bind, right? If you are too, um, if you're talking about how great you are, um, it kind of goes against society's expectations of what you should be at a woman. You could be maybe seen as boastful or aggressive or tooting your own horn and it can be perceived negatively. But like you talked about, organizations aren't really, maybe they're not ready. Like you do need to bring that up to the table, what you're delivering, what skills you're, what you're contributing. So what are some tactical things that people can do? Like really break it down because it sounds great. Advocate for yourself. Have that conversation. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Um, But let's be honest. Like there is backlash often when you do that um, because when a woman says something and a man says something, it, it can be perceived differently. So I'd love it if you could break it down, like the how people actually do this. Yep. Uh, And so uh, I'm going to share what what has worked really well for me and a lot of the women I coach. And it's actually to lean into the stereotype. Okay. So what do I mean by that? Um, So a lot of us were drawn to these fields because we wanted to make an impact on the world. Um, and so we're, we tend to be very, you know, we want to make a difference. Uh, that, that's why we came into construction. We can see things getting built. We can, you know, we, we have a legacy there, all of those things. Um, and that is also a stereotype that women, it's the altruistic, you know, women are looking out for the greater good. They want, you know, they want to help their teams, all of those things. And so what I found specific to self-advocacy is really leaning into the 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 phraseology and thinking things through in terms of what is best for the organization in this particular situation. Um, if you have a particular skill, gift, talent, uh, so you're like phenomenal at building consensus. Uh, let's say you have an expertise in a technical area that nobody else in your organization has. If you have that skill or gift or talent and you choose to hide it or not talk about it to people, well, now your organization is not benefiting from that skill, gift, or talent. Um, And so let me get down to just very, that's kind of the general mindset to approach self-advocacy with. Let's talk about very specifically how you do this. Um, And so most organizations, a lot of people feel unappreciated. They feel like no one tells them thank you. Um, And so one of the things I would do Uh, and I would recommend people do, is when, for example, someone helps you out on a project, um, send them a thank you email saying, thank you for a job well done. Really appreciate working with you on this project. Copy your boss, your boss's boss, anyone else that you want to be visible on the project. Um, I do that for like major deadlines, like milestones. You know, if you negotiated something and it worked out, uh, a client meeting went really well. You you got a proposal that came in. Uh, using that 
using like the thank you um, can really increase your visibility without making like it feels authentic to most women. Uh, it increases your visibility because that that is really the key piece with why women need to make sure they are making other people aware of what they're doing. Um, we are often, statistically speaking, we can often be invisible within our organizations. Um, and so that allows us to be more visible. Now, okay, so you can send an email using the thank you. Um, I really like having, uh, if you have other women in your organization um, and you have like an interweb of some sort, you know, a chat, a group chat function, uh, I've even done this on LinkedIn. Um, when something goes well for you at work, share it with the people in your group uh, and basically create this little group where if something goes well for you, someone else shares it. So you're essentially, you have a little self-advocacy group um, and that will help you like build your network, get, you know, stuff out there, you know, hey, I went to the, we have progress on our site today. I snapped a picture, you know, really excited to, really excited to see this and then, you know, share it with other people. Um, the other the other piece of this, uh, and, and I fall into the category of, of people that I don't, I don't know, it feels icky to me to toot my own horn. Uh, so I tend to be pretty resistant to like just flat out saying, I am awesome at this. Like that just doesn't, that's not authentic. Um, what I found is doing what I call coffee chats across your team and across the organization. Um, is like a, a stealth way of self-advocacy. What do I mean by that? So essentially you ask other people uh, in your organization, so you can do it virtually, you can do it in person, where whatever works well for you. Um, and your goal in that conversation is to meet them, find out what they're doing, but then you ask them very specific questions. You ask them, you know, what, what do they wish people knew about you? Or what do you wish someone in your role knew about their role? You ask them what their superpowers are in their role, and then you can share your superpowers and you can rephrase superpowers, whatever you want to be. Um, and then you also ask them, like, where do they see your firm and your industry going? Um, I had uh, someone I was coaching ask, take those questions to her manager. And the next thing she knew uh, is she was on a manager track within her firm because they found out there they were... Uh, they found out. Uh, she was talking about this and they're like, wow, most other people in our organization, they're just kind of like staying in their silos. They're not having these conversations. They don't even care what accounting or marketing or uh, the business development people are doing. And that set her up to be on the fast track. Um, and so I think the, the key with self-advocacy is whatever, like those, the three examples I just gave, the thank you, the, the self-advocacy group, uh, and having these coffee chats. Uh, for many women, they don't really feel like self-advocacy. You're not standing there saying, wow, I'm wonderful. Look what I'm doing. And as a result, you don't get the backlash because you are kind of aligning with the general expectations of uh, women in the workforce. Now, there's some rebels out there. I know there are. There are some rebels who are like, you know what? That is not my style. I'm just going to smack through all the barriers on my way, you know, on my way to the top. And that's fine. Like if you, if you are the type of person you're like, yeah, I can just, I can toot my own horn, go, go at it that way. Go for it. More power to you. Um, these, 
these tactics very specifically work for someone who is like me and is like, I tuning my own horn is as far from my authentic personality as you could possibly find. I love those examples, but I would say actually for the person that's comfortable tuning their own horn to do your strategies as well, because I think it's just going to build that on that relationship piece even further, right? It's, it's, they're going to get the self-advocacy from tuning their own horn. But then if you do it your way, it's like, oh, they're really deepening those relationships. And then it be, it makes you unstoppable because you have both. Right. And the, and the, why are we self-advocating here? So the whole point in my mind of self-advocating is so that when you are not in the room, there are people who know you and trust you and know what you're capable of who can speak for you. You need those people in the room for you, for promotion decisions, who gets the best projects. Um, I mean, there, there are people in rooms making decisions about your career, and you are never a part of that conversation. And so think of self-advocacy as making sure everybody knows what you're good at, what you're most contributing to the organization. Um, and that's why all these all these tactics of just sharing what you're doing work really, really well. I love that you said that because there's always this reliance of like when you talked about being in your silo, staying in your silo, just getting your work done. And you said it earlier in the interview. Um, if you're working really hard and nobody knows about it, right? It's not. It doesn't matter anywhere. It doesn't matter. So I love that you gave us these simple, simple ways to bring it all together. And it actually, it's it's easy. It sounds pretty easy to get started, and you could you could start small. So I thank you so much for that. I I love how practical and and hands on that advice is. So. At the end of every episode, we always encourage people to take action within 24 hours because you have given us so much, Stephanie. And I know if people try to implement every single piece of it, they're not going to be able to do any of it. So I would love it if you could share just yeah. one thing people do can do to just get started. And I want to specifically think about that person that doesn't have that support system yet. They, they're feeling isolated. They're, they may be on the verge of burnout. What can they do just as a baby step to get started something today or tomorrow. Yeah. So your career is not meant to be isolated. If you are feeling that isolation, I want you to send an email to someone. It can even be Andrea or I asking to connect with them. Just saying, hey, how are you doing? I'd love to have a chat. Two sentences, done. Send it to that person. If you have that person in your life, send it, send it to them directly. If you don't have that person in your life, like I said, send it to Andrea uh, or myself. Now we're going to get barraged with emails, but that's okay. Re reach out. Again, careers are not, and, and I say this a couple of times because I did not believe this early in my career. I thought I could just power through, work, work harder, work harder, work harder, and that would solve the problem. But all it did is isolate you. And if you're feeling that, you are not alone. You are far from the only one who, who has struggled with this. And you need to get connected. So write that two-sentence email. Send a text if you need be. Make, make that connection. I love that advice. It's so good and so simple. Um, but we forget about it, right? You're like, I got the to-do list. So thank you for that. And thank you so much for everything that you've shared, Stephanie. This was such great wisdom. And my last question is, how do people find out about you? And please tell us about your book and all the awesome things that you do. 
Yeah. So if you want to find out about me, uh, come to my website. So it's engineersrising.com. From that site, uh, we are currently doing a free book promotion for a physical copy uh, that we can ship that to people. There's like free, uh, you can get a free chapter of the book. Uh, and there's also like blogs and, and programs and you can learn more, more about all those things. Uh, I'm also all over social media. Again, if you go to the website, <laughs> sign up for my uh, email list, you'll get all of those links and we can connect. Um, Again, my I I am this this is a this is not just a job for me. Uh, this is very much a I want to make a difference in the world, uh, and so if I can help any any of you out there with a particular question or situation you're encountering, uh, when we talk about superpowers, one of mine is navigating those very sticky situations that we can find ourselves in as women in construction, women in engineering, women in STEM. Uh, please reach out. Amazing. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And just a quick shout out to Pat Sweet from the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, because if you're listening and you think nobody's going to spend time with me, no one's <laughs> going to spend half an hour with me, this is why we're making this episode today. So Pat Sweet introduced Stephanie and I a couple weeks ago, and we reached out and said, hey, let's hang out on Zoom for a bit. Um, we connected, we actually needed to make a second Zoom call because the connection was so strong. And now we're making this podcast. And I think this is actually an example of self advocating because I'm going to share this podcast and say, look at how awesome this guest is, Stephanie. Um, check her out, listen to her. And Stephanie can share this podcast with be like, hey, I was on this podcast. Yeah. Andrea interviewed me, check it out. And we're just lifting each other up. Mm-hmm. So I love everything about this. And thank you so much, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. Hey, before you go, I wanted to read a review of our podcast from iTunes. This one is from Monopolis, and it's called Fantastic. I love how Andrea delves deeper into much used but often completely misunderstood concepts like mentorship versus sponsorship, diversity, etc. The interviews provide real-world applicability. This is definitely a regular listen for me. I'm wondering if I can ask you a favor. Can you go onto iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and a comment? This helps us to get the word out so that we can keep making episodes for you for free every single week.